welcome to the Defender Podcast, a resource to help mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm your host, Herbie Newell. Today is October the 2nd, 2019, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. And today we are sitting down with Pastor Jason Paredes, who is the pastor of Fielder Church in Arlington, Texas. And so excited to have Jason on. Jason to talk about, one, his personal adoption, but one, the way he leads the church to care for orphans and widows. And so in light of thinking about the church and the church caring for orphans and widows, we want you to know that Orphan Sunday is is coming up. It's right around the corner. It's only a month away. And Lifeline unapologetically wants to equip the church to respond to God's call to care for the vulnerable children around the world. That's why we have developed resources for your church to use on Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday is a day set aside once a year for the global church to bring awareness to the orphan crisis and to invite the church body to get involved. This year, Orphan Sunday is Sunday, November the 10th, 2019, and Lifeline wants to come alongside your local church, provide free resources like a prayer guide, a small group lessons, graphics, and bulletin inserts. You can find your free resources at lifelinechild.org backslash Orphan Sunday. Again, that's lifelinechild.org backslash Orphan Sunday. What an honor it is today to be joined by uh, Jason Paredes, and Jason is a pastor, the lead pastor of Fielder Church, which is in Arlington, Texas, right outside of Dallas and part of the Dallas-Fort Worth metro area. Uh, Jason was born in Dallas, Texas, and raised in Oak Cliff. He attended Baylor University, so he is a bear, where he received his... Bears. <laughs> yeah, there we go. He received his call there into vocational ministry and... Jason served for two years as a missionary in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, through the IMB, the International Mission Board, and that's where he met his wife, Virginia, uh, on the field together. And so after completing his Master Divinity at Southwestern, he began his ministry at Fielder Church, and now he is a lead pastor and has five incredible daughters um, and a son. And so he brought some much-needed balance to the girls in his home. And uh, I mean, that's that's a brief introduction of who you are, Jason. But uh, man, just just give us some some background because you uh, your dad grew up as a pastor's kid. Uh, but then you actually didn't grow up in a believing home. Uh, and 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 just God has brought that full circle and that grace. Uh, and uh, you started off as a, you know, a, a pastor on the low end of the totem pole uh, there at Fielder. And now you're leading uh, this church. So just, just tell us a little bit more about your story and God's grace and redemption through that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Herbie, thank you so much, first of all, for just the privilege of getting to share uh, my story, my church's story, and our passion for adoption. But uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, how the Lord works, uh, specifically in this time right now, the season of my life with my family. But my grandfather was a very well-known pastor in the Spanish-speaking world in the state of Texas. And so had beautiful ministry, uh, evangelizing, pastoring. He actually grew what was considered the first uh, Hispanic megachurch in the city of Austin. Uh, had a, and most Hispanic churches were 10 to 12 people, really small churches, almost house churches. His was 1,000 people, and it was just so radically different. But because of that, uh, he was 
he was always involved in ministry. And back then it was a one man show. I mean, he did everything, every wedding, every funeral, every Bible study. He had, he was constantly doing ministry. And so my dad grew up with a bad taste in his mouth toward church. It felt like uh, as great as my grandfather was that his dad was married to the church, not to his mom. And he felt rather abandoned by uh, someone who was so given over to this ministry. And so he struggled immensely with a sense of uh, uh, identification with the church. And, you know, he, he saw behind the veil and saw some of the hypocrisy and the hardship and he rebelled against it for a long, long time. And so I grew up uh, with spiritual parents, uh, but not uh, not church-going parents, uh, not uh, not believers in Jesus. They loved Jesus, but not really giving them lives their lives over to them. But we went to church Christmas and Easter, really to hear Grandpa preach and uh, to be part of that. And so it wasn't a massive part of my life growing up until right before I went off to school when uh, I came to encounter Christ in the Scriptures and. Uh, and really, uh, man, God grabbed a hold of my heart in a a profound way. And uh, and but I grew up with no knowledge whatsoever of the Bible. I mean, I very peripheral. Never read the Bible. Didn't understand it much. And so I was starting green. I mean, I didn't have the felt Moses stories, you know, that you learned in Sunday school. And I didn't have any of that background. And so I went to Baylor. And most people had grown up in church who went to Baylor, and they knew so many of the stories. And I felt completely inadequate, but. During that first season, the Lord calls me to ministry. Uh, I go live in Buenos Aires, Argentina to do missionary work after I finish school uh, and, and develop a, a call to preach, uh, but don't know what that's going to look like. So I, I came back and just began studying. I was doing an inner city ministry in downtown Fort Worth, uh, a small Anglo congregation that was right in the middle of little Mexico area. I mean, everybody was Spanish speaking in the community. So I went to help them reach out to that community and uh, and began to start a Spanish service in that church. And uh, it was at that time, I, my dad, my parents started going to church because uh, they very supportive parents wanted to hear their son preach. So they would come. But over the last maybe 10, 12 years, God began to work in their heart through the preaching of his word, through being involved in the church. I came to Fielder and I came to do Spanish language ministry and missions. I kind of snuck in the back door because they just needed somebody bilingual and, and I fit the bill. And so I, I was not qualified. I didn't have any experience, but they brought me in and trained me here. And my parents started coming uh, and uh, started growing in their faith. And actually, this is uh, you know a little bit hot off the press. Uh, just uh, about two weeks ago, my parents both told me that uh, they have decided to follow Christ wholeheartedly, and they're getting baptized at our baptism celebration in two weeks. And so excited, we're going to baptize a hundred plus people, and they're going to be two of them. I'm going to be in the water. It's a public one out at a, a community lake where we're going to get to baptize. And uh, so pumped about that, how God has redeemed that and brought that around. And in paralleling that, uh, God has allowed me to constantly have new opportunities here. I, I thought I'd be here at Fielder for three or four years, maybe five at most. I felt called to preach and to lead. Never thought I'd get to do that here at Fielder. Uh, this church was way too big for what I thought the Lord allowed me to lead in it. Somehow, in his humor, he has given me the opportunity to transition into a role of leadership in this church. And I mean, I'm floored by it constantly. I don't have a clue uh, why he would choose to do that other than God uses the fools to shame the wise. And here I am. But uh, God's, God's been gracious in that journey. And I, I mean, I just I think even, you know, you and I had an opportunity to sit down several months ago. And, uh, you know, brother, I, I know for me, I just I just immensely joined that enjoyed that time. I feel like even. Our lives, while being lived in different states, were on a similar crash course in a lot of ways. 
but, you know, one of the things that has just really impressed me uh, about your testimony, too, is one, the grace that you lead Fielder with, but then two, the, uh, the intentionality by which you love your family and by which you not just love your own family, but you're leading the church to love their families. And, and even the day that I was there, y'all were having a big family movie day where your staff and families were getting together. And, and I know that is uh, a part of even the lessons you probably learned from your grandfather who, you know, unmittingly, he didn't mean to, uh, but he got so invested in helping others uh, that, that sometimes he forgot about his family. And uh, how, I guess, how have you seen those lessons really flourish in your ministry, uh, not just in your own life leading Fielder, but also in the way that you're leading the staff to love their families while they're loving the church? Yeah, that's that's a great question. And I, and I, I wish I could say I was better at it than I really am. Uh, I mean, you came on a great day. We were having a, a staff family outing, which we're very intentional about creating that. But, uh, you know, the, the vision the Lord has given our church is a radical vision. And it's a vision of church planning, a vision of intense generosity, a vision of of uh, mentoring children in schools, of adopting and fostering children in our homes, of sending missionaries and church planners to the ends of the earth. And it's so far beyond what we're capable of doing. And I've come to the realization, uh, and, and some of this is, as you said, just in recognizing my own father and grandfather's story, uh, and then seeing uh, what can happen when God gives us such a bold vision. And, and Herbie, one thing I know in hearing what God has done at Lifeline as well, just the, the level of growth over the years, it's incredible how God will open up doors and uh, and you walk through them and things never seem to slow. They get busier and busier and busier. And we look up and we're trying to run a marathon, but we're running at a, at a, a hundred yard pace. We're sprinting. And uh, and so it, I've had to, had to be very intentional and cognizant about saying, what are the pause moments? Where are our limits? Where are we going to slow down? Because if we lose our families in the process, we have lost the war. We have uh, we can attain a bunch of goals on a document and pat ourselves on the back, and we have lost the war. Because the the, the fight for the families is central to the church. It's the the core group from from the Old Testament, the very beginning, all the way to the end of it. It's the family is is centric to who we are as people of faith. And so, uh, what is it? What is it going to look like to maintain family in our church? And how does family going to play a role? I've got I've got as you mentioned six kids. So uh, just the girth of my family forces my life to orbit around it some. And that allows me to be intentional to say, yeah, these people, whether they're single and they need friendships because they need that level of relationship or they're young parents with no kids, they need to begin to forge uh, their life and marriage or their parents with numerous kids. Every single one of them needs to have intentionality beyond just the vision goals that we go after and what we're striving toward or there's no health. And so we've, we've taken some uh, moments to try to build that into the culture of who we are, try to incorporate spouses into discussions about why we do what we do, bring kids. We have some great staff fun days where we have laser tag up here when, you know, summertime or we do different events just to get them involved because they're a part of this journey with us. And so it's been really great to see that unfold and slow us down when we need to be slowed down. Well, and, and I just, and I know that, like you said, I came on a, on a good day, but I, I've just been so impressed too, and, and had the opportunity to sit down with your team to see that not only do y'all have fun together, but your, your whole staff really embraces the mission 
of what Fielder is all about, from the children's ministry to the worship ministry to the preaching ministry uh, to the greeters to everything that you do. Everyone is really gets this mission, and 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 even just talking about family. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that Fielder believes is to, to reach the community where the church is planted and to reach the DFW community. And part of that includes the vulnerable and vulnerable children. And so you have placed in front of your team, in front of your, your congregation, this goal of, of bringing family around children. Talk a little bit about this mission, this goal, and how, you, uh, how the Lord just led you and your church family to this goal. Absolutely. So the, the goal that God has clearly placed on our our heart is a, a, over a 10-year period of time, we have an, a number of them, but one of them is that we'll have a thousand children that have been adopted or foster parented over this 10-year period through our congregation. And and that really was born from uh, what the Lord did in my heart uh, almost 13 years ago now when he began a journey in my wife, Virginia, in my heart to adopt our son, Max, from China. And I, it was something, uh, it was a, a personal battle that uh, long story, I, I'll tell some other point, hopefully, but uh, this this wrestling with God of, are you really calling our family to expand in this way, this unique way? Uh, we'd had two biological daughters and the Lord was calling us to adopt a child with special needs. And he'd already clearly called my wife, Virginia, and he was trying to call me. I just didn't want to hear it. And uh, through a wrestling season and fighting with him, God dis- displayed with unbelievable intensity and clarity that he had called our family to adopt this child. But I knew in that moment, and I don't even know how I can express exactly how I knew, I knew that moment, it was likely not just going to be for our family. He was calling our family to adopt so that I could lead a church that would have a ministry that would seek out the vulnerable, the the child who has not been given a home that needs to be given a home by the Christian community. And so from that, and that was 13 years ago, I I wasn't the lead pastor. Uh, I was I was a far away pastorally as you could be from the lead pastor, but began to believe God was going to allow our story to affect the the body of Christ in some form or fashion of the local church. And God kept beginning to open up doors at Fielder where I could speak into more and more and tell our story and tell a bit of what we've seen God do through adoption, our, our account of it. And our son, Max, who is a phenomenal young man. And, and how vivid he is and how charismatic he is, his smile, even with his limitations. And, uh, and so uh, that began to grow even in just in a grassroots level in our congregation where more and more families were beginning to, to discuss it. And, and then as the Lord transitioned me over to the lead pastor role, uh, I knew in that moment he had, he had called us to, to grab this bull by the horns and, and wrestle this down to the ground to say, this is who we're supposed to be. We can't claim a belief in the gospel of Jesus and not walk mightily into this kind of ministry. So we began to dream and ask the Lord, what would you have of us? And when he told us, uh, and it was multiple of us as we're fasting and praying and seeking him that he wants us to go big or go home on this one. Uh, and a thousand for us is going big. Uh, and so uh, Lord said, shoot for it. And so, you know, you, you begin to restructure around that. And what's that going to take staff wise? What's that going to take energy wise? And how do we communicate as a congregation? And I've been floored by how the body has jumped on board and seen it and loved it and how there's been growth overall in our congregation, both to the number of children that we're foster parenting and adopting and the ministries that are being formed around these children as they come into our congregation. So it's, it's been wild to see God take those steps along the way. Yeah. And, and, and even like I said before, to see 
again, this is not something that is, you know, staff pushing this down or leadership pushing this down to the church, but this is also your leadership and your staff living this out uh, from your missions pastor to uh, one of your student ministers and and uh, children's ministry and worship ministry and and even as you gave us a preview your own family so give us just a little bit more of that background about your personal adoption that you in virginia and just that that call that the lord put on your life man i I have learned more about the gospel of jesus through adopting than anything i have ever done and i I've studied the scriptures. I have, I've sat under good teaching. I've, uh, I've had a lot of experiences, but there is something so vivid uh, about adoption and his heart toward the gospel of Jesus that, um, and I, I knew it was going to be a platform for us to, to proclaim the gospel as a church body. But with our son, Max, uh, it, it was the, the clearest uh, con- concept of it. The clearest ability to grasp the gospel was in the realization one day, I remember it uh, very clearly as I was sitting there thinking about what we were doing. We were sp- spending all this money. We were taking all these trainings. We were doing all this work for this child that didn't even know we existed. We were pursuing him fiercely. We were, uh, we were doing everything we could, moving every block and obstacle and weight and mountain out of the way that we could to go after this child. We were getting ready to get plane tickets to take the time, my two children and my wife and I, to go grab this child and make him ours and bring him home. And all of a sudden, the Lord began to speak over me. This this is the picture of the gospel. My son, Max, had done nothing to earn our affection. He He hadn't done something to love us or to show us anything. He just, he was just a child that we chose to love. And when I began to realize this is, this is the gospel message. I've done nothing to earn the father's affection. He pursued me. He paid for me. He moved mountains for me. He left heaven to come to earth to get me, to bring me home. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, this is the message of the gospel. This is adoption is it. And from that moment, it just began to even transition the way I thought about my faith, about our church's faith, about who we are as people. And when you begin to communicate that from a place of experience, this is what it looks like. And there's, you know, you know, there's, there's ups and downs of adoption. There's some hardships that they teach you the gospel. I, I remember our daughter, Jovi, uh, and I, I got to live this one out the most publicly because I was already the lead pastor by the time we adopted her. And so the, ho- the whole church went along with me on this journey and they knew it, that I was the one this time. My wife was the one who led the first time. I was the one who led out the second adoption when I, I felt the Lord compelling us to adopt. And um, the Lord spoke to my wife and she got on board and I was the one who first saw our daughter and believed God was saying, we're supposed to adopt her. And I was the one constantly pursuing this little girl. And when I went to go adopt her, she utterly rejected me. I mean, just couldn't be in the same room with me. She would scream and run and I couldn't hold her. I couldn't touch her. I couldn't be around her at all. And the heartbreak of that uh, rejection uh, for someone I had pursued so deeply was gut-wrenching. And yet the Lord spoke over me, Jason, this is what my unconditional love looks like. I have pursued you recklessly and fiercely and come after you. And you have rejected me over and over and over again. Yet I love you anyway. And God said, Jason, I'm giving you a chance to love this little girl unconditionally so that you'll know what my unconditional love feels like towards you. And my goodness, it wrecked me. And By God's grace, after six months of loving her unconditionally, the walls finally started to break down 
And she finally started accepting my love. And that unconditional love conquered her little heart. But I got to experience the father's love toward me as a father loving his daughter who didn't want anything to do with him at first. And so, you know, just those types of things. When I get to share these stories, people get begin to see this is this is the gospel. This is what it looks like. And uh, and so people begin to get a heart for it. But the staff as well, they, they hear these stories. They see these and they go, I, I want to experience that. I want to know what it's like to understand the nature of the unconditional love of God. I, I want to know what it's like to see God move in miraculous ways on behalf of the orphan, on behalf of the one who is cast aside. And, and so they've, they've been adopting and their stories begin to expand. And it, it really is a contagious thing in the congregation when people start grabbing a hold of it and speaking about it openly. And, uh, and it becomes normative in the congregation. So these are the ways that we've seen adoption take root in our congregation. Yeah, and, and I, love, I love that picture that you give, which is such a true picture. And, and of course, we find that in Ephesians chapter 1 and Romans chapter 8 and Galatians 3 and 4, this whole idea uh, that we are adopted by God. We are chosen by God. We didn't do anything to be chosen. We didn't do anything to earn our salvation, to earn his love. He sought after us. And in turn, that creates this response in God's people to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. But but I know you and I both share that this is the call of the church to care for the vulnerable and to do justice in such a way that uh, a watching world tastes and sees and just gets a glimpse of the glory of God and the goodness of God. So just talk a little bit more about as you're leading your people to, to this huge goal of, of finding homes for a thousand children, why you are so convinced and convicted that this is the duty of the local church? You know, I think there's, there's a, and obviously this is something that is uh, well known in society. Society. There's nothing we can do to uh, to break the reality of it at present. But the church is known for screaming hatred and uh, screaming injustice and screaming what all the world is doing wrong. Even when it comes to the issue of abortion, uh, the church's right stance of saying let's protect life, let's honor life, every life is created in the image of God, has been so skewed by the hatred of the way the church has lived this out. Uh, don't abort your babies. Uh, you're evil if you do. You're a murderer if you do. Instead of saying, don't abort your babies, please give them to us. We, we want to raise them. And, and I, I just, I have this sense, and, and some of this is the beauty of seeing that firsthand, what God has done as uh, he's brought these precious lives into our own family and how our, our family's life would be so less rich without them. They really are a gift. Both of our children are special needs and that adds beauty and color to our family's life. Not It doesn't drain it. And so when we see this and we say to the world, we want to love the, the children that God has created. We want to accept them, especially when they have traumatic backgrounds or special needs. And, and we, want to, we want to bring them into homes where they can be loved on. It is such a powerful uh, word to the, the, the people who live around us. And we've had more gospel conversations with neighbors around our adoption story than pretty much anything else because they they do want to know why 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 have you you have four beautiful biological children why would you adopt and we get to tell them exactly why and we get to share the story of God's grace and so the church has this beautiful opportunity to step into this space that no one else is stepping into in mass and the church actually has the capacity as I know you guys uh, trumpet often 
And we have the capacity to, to end the orphan issue and to end the foster care system issue as we stand in the gap and, and, and not just uh, talk about loving children, but bringing them into our homes and knowing it will be difficult, it'll be messy, it'll be costly, but it's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it for our family. It's going to be worth it for the nature of the, of the kingdom of God. It's going to give us an opportunity to declare the goodness of God in a very tangible way. And so if, if our church is going to have community impact, then this would be a, an obvious hole in what we were doing ministry-wise if we didn't engage in this arena, if we didn't step into this, knowing there are children that live around us, children that are around the world in terrible situations that need homes. We've got extra bedrooms. We've got extra space. We've got extra love to give. And yet we choose not to. This, we couldn't stand before Jesus one day and hear, well done, if we didn't step into this space. And so we've just said, God, this is, this is clearly what you've called us to, you've equipped us for. And, and I, I, I try to, to teach this often. I know it can be taken in a dangerous way, but um, you know, the, the question isn't really, are you called to foster or adopt? The question is, are you not called to do so? Because the default should be, yes, I'll bring someone into my home. Now, there are very obvious reasons why some people shouldn't do this, and those need to be taken seriously. But I think the default, the, the mode of the church should be the expectation. Yes, we're, unless there's a reason why not, we're going to bring a child into our home. We're going to be a part of the church caring for the vulnerable and the rejected and the hurting. And so for us, it became just an issue of, uh, of authenticity and integrity of being followers of Jesus. And so we've, we've been into it and uh, we're learning uh, a lot as we go along, having great partnerships with with you guys, with Lifeline, and, uh, and God has been gracious to bring a lot of uh, uh, people and uh, a lot of manpower to it, and we're seeing God's grace as we step into it. Yeah, and I know that, that you've seen this and your church has seen this too, that when we step into this messy, many times difficult world of adoption and of foster care, we also start to see those other justice issues too presented right there uh, to us that we're able to step into and and be a part of as the church. And, you know, the Lord has called us to this ministry of reconciliation uh, and to preach, you know, Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so we are we're called to step into these 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 vulnerable places, these hard places and these difficult and messy places. But um, I, I guess as a pastor, uh, how would you tell those that are listening who desperately are, are hearing what Fielder is doing and, and, and even honestly probably you know just pining away to say, oh, I wish our pastor or our church had this heart for the vulnerable that Fielder has. How would you counsel uh, a church member to say, hey, this is how you can approach your church. This is how you can start to make a difference in your church, maybe to affect your lead pastor, maybe to affect those on the church staff, or or maybe just to start something even when they're not listening. What would be the counsel that you would give someone who is is desperate to see their church have a, a similar heart? You know, I think the... Uh, three thoughts first came to mind as you were talking through that, and they're, none of them are going to be shocking. Uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a no-brainer, I think, when you stop and consider what steps to take. But I think if we're not intentional, we can know the right steps and not actually take them. So these three steps, I think, are ones I would recommend you write down and you start attacking one by one. And, and the very first one, obviously, is, is praying. 
But I, I think sometimes when we say pray, we think, okay, I, I prayed one time, I shot my little flare up to God and, oh God, change my pastor's heart. Amen. And I think that's going to be enough. But there's, if, if your heart really is for the orphan, if your heart really is for the vulnerable child who hasn't experienced family and love and stability, then that should cause you to cry out. Uh, that should cause you to be the, the old lady seeking justice from the judge who keeps on coming back again and again and knocking on the door and so annoys the judge, he finally gives justice to the lady. Like that, that should be the way we pray. And I think there's a, uh, a complete uh, lack of awareness of fasting in the evangelical church specifically, but the church at large, we've lost that practice of desperation for God to move where we scream out, God, I, I want you more than food. I want you more than anything else. Caffeine. I just, I want to fast and I want to pray and I want to ask you to move the heart of my church, the heart of my pastoral staff, the heart of whom, whomever it is that you need moved to begin and initiate this ministry. But a desperate, persistent crying out to God with fasting and prayer, I think has to be an element of that. And that's part of our story. It is I mean, it's a, we have a large church. It's uh, shifting a church like this is a slow turn. And we fast and we pray and we cry out to God. And that's with the pastoral staff already behind this. Uh, and three-fifths of our lead team um, have adopted. And, uh, and so it's, I mean, it's, it permeates who we are. And we still fast and pray, asking that God would break down these barriers, barriers in the congregation. So I, I think that's got to be a huge element of it. I think a second uh, large element of it is there needs to be uh, as as you mentioned, uh, you know, even if you don't have the blessing of the leadership, you, you don't need to have a an adoption or foster care ministry in your church to adopt or foster a parent. You can still step into that. You can do what you're talking about. And there are a lot of people who talk about it and their excuse is, well, you know, my church doesn't really support it. You know, I wouldn't be supportive. There are plenty of congregations around that you don't have to switch membership. You can our church is wide open to the churches that are around us. There are many other churches that are the same way that say, come partner with our adoption and foster care ministry. Come utilize the things that we have to support you and then go back to your church. Because if you're an adoptive family in a different local church, the greater likely chance will be that your church will catch a vision from it through you than they will through us. So we want to encourage you and equip you and send you back to your congregation to live that life. And so I'd, I'd encourage people to, to stop making excuses and to actually take steps forward into it to say, I, I can get Christian community around me in one form or fashion, people who can support me in this process, but I'm going to foster parent. I'm going to adopt. I'm going to step into that if the Lord is is opening me, uh, opening that door for me and calling me toward that. Uh, so, so don't wait would be the second thing. The third thing, though, I think is really important is to uh, to live that space out loud, not, not to be hidden about it, uh, to share your family. This is something the Lord taught me uh, deeply. I I, I began to realize my adoption story wasn't just for me. And the, the way I most realized it was uh, the need of fundraising. And I, I, we just weren't going to be able to pay these expenses. I didn't, we were a one income pastor's family and it was going to be around 25 to 30,000 to adopt our son, Max. And how in the world are we going to do this? And yet the Christian community, when they began to hear about the needs stood up and wanted to be a part of it. And so I had to begin to, to live my adoption process out loud, vulnerably in front of other people. And even in my unbelieving neighbors in my neighborhood, we had a, uh, a garage sale and seven homes around us because they knew we were adopting, decided they wanted to sell stuff for our adoption. And so we had a seven home garage sale all together. We raised about thirteen, fourteen hundred dollars on one day 
because my neighbors were involved. And here are my unbelieving neighbors, a part of a gospel moment. And I get to share with them why we're doing this and have prayer with them. And so it's, it was just a, uh, a beautiful way to live it out loud. And so I'd encourage anybody, invite your pastor over to your home to get to see if you've adopted or your foster parenting, the beautiful mess that it is to see how precious these children are and what they have to offer, because they're going to catch a vision for it when they see it lived out in tangible ways. And so I think if you fast and pray, seek the Lord, if you, you don't wait, you move forward on your own, and then you live that out loud, I think these steps are going to help uh, promote that in your own congregation, wherever the Lord has called you to, to be at home. And I think maybe a, a fourth little add-on PS to this would be stay put in a local congregation, dig in, uh, don't, don't get hungry eyes to look around for what other congregations got a better ministry. Your congregation needs you to have a passion for this so that more congregations can rise up and say, this is ours to own. This is our responsibility. And so stay put, dig in, uh, own more, uh, love more, be more involved with the pastor's family and life and, and with the leadership of the church. And I think those things will help really recreate the story of that church. Amen. Well, Brother, I just, uh, I'm so thankful for your leadership at Fielder, for your life, for the way that, uh, that you live your life so authentically, uh, both in front of your church and in your family and to your staff that you lead. And um, I guess just, just as we close, I know one of the things that you and I have talked about and that's important for you too is just the role of, of having others speaking into your life and accountability. And, and especially when it comes to adopting and parenting adopted children, you know, things, things do come that are tough and that are hard. And, and I think a lot of times foster and adopted families, uh, especially if they're not in a church where it's so much of the culture, like it is fielder, they can sometimes become very isolated and very inward, uh, where as pastors, as leaders, but especially as families, we need the help of others. Just, can you, can you talk and encourage just for that family, why it is so important to have others speaking into your life. Man, uh, that's the that's a make or break thing for people who are walking through this. I, I've never uh, met, maybe very, very rarely met a family where as they're going through this adoption journey, when we begin to get real with each other, that they don't begin to weep over struggles that they just felt ashamed of having. You know, there's there's for whatever reason, there's a sense of, if my adoption story isn't beautiful and perfect and lovely, that I must, I must be a loser. I, I must have done something wrong because there can't be anything wrong with this child. They're created in the image of God, so it must be me. And, uh, and it's a complete dismissal of the sin nature that invades our world and invades these precious children who were created absolutely in the image of God, but they've been marred by trauma and by hardship and by rejection. And, and it's a... It's a scar-filled environment that has ramifications. And so I, I think the ability to own brokenness is so important. For, and this, this is a gospel message anyway, this idea that we are royally screwed up people, all of us. And were it not for the grace of a majestic king who would take our sin upon his shoulders, we would be lost. I mean, we, we wouldn't have any hope as Christians. And so why wouldn't we translate that same thought over into adoption where we we can't these children they're precious but they're they're broken we're precious in the sight of god but we're broken and when you put two broken entities together it creates even more breaks and so that's that's what adoption and foster parenting looks like it's trauma upon trauma and baggage upon baggage and shoved together in this beautiful mess that makes us more in need of christ that grows us spiritually but that is 
painfully ugly. And so when you walk through hardship, you, you can't do it alone because the moment you try to, to do it alone and you get isolated, that's when the enemy wins. And so for everybody who's walking this process, and I, I personally, especially when I was going through the rejection, rejection of my daughter, there were some moments when I was overwhelmed by insecurities and how could I love so deeply and be so rejected. I, I have pretty thick skin. I lead a large church or plenty of people who don't like what I'm doing. I get, I get my share of emails and uh, anonymous letters and stuff that come my way and I can, I can brush them off. But when it was someone from the inside, someone from my own family, I couldn't brush it off. And there was a dark moment I went through for those number of months that I needed to, I needed to seek friendship and counsel of people who had gone through that hardship. And, uh, and that, that can come from all different forms. It can come from other families who've adopted that understand that pain, which I will say uh, families who have never foster parented or adopted uh, or who haven't experienced trauma uh, might not be the best sources of counsel in those moments. So you've got to go to people who, and they're all over the place who have either experienced bringing in a child of a, tra- a traumatic background, or they have degrees in counseling and understand that type of thing. But you can get in a community because they are everywhere. You can be vulnerable enough to say, I have this need and people will flock as they realize they have that same need. But having that place where you can say, I'm going to own my own brokenness. I'm, I'm not going to pretend like everything's okay. And, and sometimes we think if I express my pain, if I let people know how hard it is. They may not want to adopt, and I don't want to keep somebody from adopting because my story is hard. But the truth is, uh, I mean, it, everybody really knows in the end of the day when they step, or at least they need to know before they step into something as lifelong as adoption, they need to go in with eyes open that this is going to be difficult. And so if they can't handle that part of the reality of it, they probably aren't at a position where they're ready to step into it anyway. And so living out loud with our vulnerabilities, being honest with the pain of it and finding other people who are in that pain, man, that, that joint carrying of that weight is so precious. And it's so beautiful because it is a picture of what Christian community is supposed to be. And so and sometimes you have to hunt it out. And we didn't always have that at our church. I was one of the earlier adopters here in adoption. And I had to, I had to seek it elsewhere for a, a while. Uh, and God was gracious enough to bring it here, but I had to seek it. And so that, I would say that to anybody who's listening, seek it with a passion, with a fervor. Uh, make sure you have that, that honest place where you can dialogue about the hurts and the pains of it, or you, you won't survive, or at least if you do survive, there's going to be a whole lot of scar tissue left over otherwise. Well, brother, I'm so thankful for you and, and for the ministry, and uh, thank you for just joining us today. Oh, man, it's been my pleasure. Thank you so much, Herb. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Podcast to make it easier for more people to find. For more information how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, visit us at lifelinechild.org. If you want to connect with me, please visit herbienewell.com. Follow us at Lifeline on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.